Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show that waves the flag of truth at all the false flags that they're waving at us from the corporate mainstream media. I'm Kevin Barrett with Dr. E. Michael Jones. Hey, welcome, Mike. How are you? Thank you, thank you, Kevin. Good to be back with you. Yeah, it's very much uh, long awaited and looked forward to. It's a highlight of my month uh, when you come on this show. So, well, thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're putting putting this stuff in historical perspective. So looking at you know, 30 weekly news stories and then getting a sort of historian's perspective on it is actually, I think, a useful exercise. So let's uh, move on with our useful exercises here. Wait a second. We got to get the... Uh... Okay, that, that should work. There we go. All right. So here's our image of the week. And... We uh, we actually have have a couple others coming up, but uh, I thought this one captured the uh, spirit of the times. Public service announcements of this week. Okay, first one is we're, we were not on the air last week. I was traveling, but we're back. So please help us stay back by going to truthjihad.com, going to False Flag Weekly News, and finding story number one, and helping fund the show at the fundraiser. We only had 40 bucks raised for this so that's next week's show uh, i think we had 100 a little over 100 for this week's show our goal is 200 so please help us out and you'll also be cheering us up over here in morocco as we grumble growl and and get more and more angry and ornery about the ongoing genocide over in gaza uh, people are in the, out in the streets in morocco a lot of folks ask me uh what i don't hear anything about morocco well every weekend there's a big protest here so Okay, enough PSAs. Today's headline. So, Dr. Jones, what do you think of this front page screaming headline when I woke up this morning? The New York Times is basically admitting that the war on Russia has failed. Yes, uh, it's clear that uh, this has happened. The, uh, the, the reverse headline here is that uh, we are going to put more sanctions on Russia. So in other words, the sanctions that we did put on Russia have done absolutely nothing, have actually encouraged, enhanced the production uh, capability of Russia when it comes to the war machine. Uh, but we're going to double down. Uh, the, what, what, they're, don't, what they don't understand at the Treasury office is that sanctions are a form of tariff. And tariffs are good because it promotes domestic production. This is exactly what has happened in Iran over the period of sanctions. Iran's domestic economy has increased uh, enormously because of the sanctions, not in spite of the sanctions. So the sanctions will increase Russia's independence. And uh, we, uh, the United States, is in the exact opposite position uh, because we have globalized our economy. We have basically uh, dismantled the arsenal for democracy that won World War II. And, and now we are at the mercy of uh, foreign producers for crucial elements to uh, the, the weapons. And we're in a bad situation and Russia's in a uh, good situation. And so what do you do? You double down and make uh, the bad worse. This is what's going on. Well, they say the definition of insanity is is uh, keeping doing the same thing over and over again when it's not working. And that seems to be pretty much the definition of American policy as well. Uh, yes. Here's the New York yes. Times saying that, well, the freedoms are down, but the wages are up. They're pointing out that Putin has the highest support ever. 
So almost everybody probably doesn't really notice that they don't have freedom because they can say exactly what they want. Their wages are up. Uh, China may be down, but or China, Europe may be down, but but China is up. The Russian Chinese economies are getting closer and closer and more and more productive and prosper prosperous. The GDP is up. People can't take trips abroad. Well, what do you mean? Well, maybe they they don't go to Europe quite as much, but uh, I'm sure they're surviving. And uh, even though there are war deaths, Putin's approval is way, way, way up. So to me, that's not like sort of a 50-50, you know, half good, half bad scenario. That's New York Times admitting that this war actually is being won by Russia. Yeah. If you look at the United States, what you see over the past 50 years is the exact opposite. So freedom has, the minute freedom went up, wages went down. And by freedom, uh, what do I mean? I mean sexual liberation. That's what got defined. If you the actual turning point is Roe versus Wade, 1973 was the point where uh, freedom, so-called freedom to kill your child, uh, was introduced, and at that point wages went down. So that's the calculus that's happening over here, uh, and uh, no one's talking about that. So the kind of freedom New York Times says is going down in Russia is presumably the the freedom to pursue sexual deviancy by you know taking the pussy rioters into the local cathedral and things like that. So I'm sure the Russians really, really miss that kind of freedom. Uh, so here's the New York Times direct quote. Despite the ways life has changed, many people say they feel positive about how President Vladimir Putin is doing. His popularity surged as the war began and is now at its highest level in seven years. Mr. Putin has convinced many that in invading Ukraine, Russia is defending itself against an existential threat from the West. Well, I don't think he really had to work that hard to convince people. I think this is just how Russians in general see it. So it's not as if Putin convinced them all. It's just he's one of the, what, like almost 200 million Russians who basically sees an existential threat coming from the West for very good reason. Yeah. Does, does the uh, P Pentagon, does the CIA, do they read the New York Times? I thought the New York Times was the they mouthpiece of these I people. They wrote it. <laughs> well, did they write this? So this is a sign of hope then. There's someone in the CIA who understands what's going on and thinks we should change. Is that the message? Is that the secret encoded message here? Do I get out my ring decoder here and, and read it that way? Okay, so maybe they need us here at False Flag Weekly News to translate this into the language that the policymakers can understand. So policymakers, listen up, even the New York Times admits this isn't working, or the Pentagon CIA people who write for the New York Times are admitting that. More New York Times stories from today's news. Biden's in danger of losing Michigan and with it the whole election because he insists on giving absolute all-out 100% support to the ongoing genocide in Gaza. And Michelle Goldberg, uh, ethnicity unknown, I'm sure, uh, is even admitting that. So once again, it's almost as if somebody in the deep state is telling a, telling the policymakers through the New York Times, you know, this this isn't working. Yeah, it's it's uh, Dearborn is a crucial factor in this. The Muslims in Dearborn went to the White House and told Biden if he doesn't stop with this carte blanche support of the genocide in Gaza, they're they're not going to vote for him. And if they don't vote for him, they're going to lose the election. So it's uh, the the ethnic uh, the ethnic vote here uh, rising up and threatening to break the uh, the coalition that Biden the Democrats have created here. So it it really seems that the Democrats are undermining the, themselves here with with a doomed war on Russia, as we saw that even the New York Times has to admit uh, completely unlike what they were saying a year ago. But now they're admitting it's lost, and they're admitting that Biden's presidency could be lost. Trump's going to be back in the White House thanks to this all-out support for genocide. And Michelle Goldberg, who's probably Zionist light herself, 
and whoever else is behind sending this message is saying, come on, Biden, you, you know, you don't you don't have to like, you know, totally side with the Palestinians here. But please, this this, you know, genocidal extremism in the White House is going to put Trump in office. What, what does this go back to Masada? Uh, is this what your, happens when the Biden minion takes over our foreign policy? Do do they have this? Uh, this strikes me as a kind of nihilism that is willing to destroy uh, the ship uh, in order to achieve Ahab's goal. It reminds me of Ahab in in uh, in Moby Dick. They get the control of the ship, and then they've got this fanatical ideology that is willing to destroy the ship to, so that they can achieve their their uh, crazy goal. This you know is what? the type of who's going to who's going to put a stop to this. We keep hoping for the adults in the room to step up in the CIA or something like that. And no one's stepping up. There's there's total Funkstille here uh, from the political class. Well, you know, Moby Dick has been read as an allegory for a kind of extremist sort of Protestant puritanical, uh, you know, mania. Uh, but, you know, no, I don't think anybody's ever read it as an allegory of Jewish messianic millenarian hysteria and genocidal mania. But maybe somebody should. No, it's it's American monomania. It goes back to Calvinism, mm -hmm. uh, Calvinism and Puritanism, and Puritanism is Judaized uh, uh, Christianity. That's what it is. So that's, the link. Yep. that's the that's the monomania that you need to succeed as an American, as a CEO, as the captain of a ship, and it's self-destructive. It's nihilistic. Because I think the hidden, I know, I know you'll love this, but I think the hidden grammar of American, the American uh, regime is Satanism. Uh, America is the great Satan. I, yeah. I, I, I can prove I, there are texts that show this. The main text is Paradise Lost, which is the Puritan epic, which is the Protestant epic, and the hero of Paradise Lost is Satan. Well, do you think the Puritans didn't know this? Do you think the Puritans didn't know that uh, Milton signed the death warrant of the king and that the hidden grammar was overthrowing rightful authority and so on and so forth? Of course they knew it. It was the next generation that came along, the romantics like Shelley and Blake and probably Emerson and Hawthorne who realized this is the hidden grammar here. It's Satanism. Okay, That's so so uh, that, that pretty much burnishes your credentials as not merely anti-Jewish, uh, but all but anti-American because uh, you're a self-hating American like me, Mike. Uh, uh, and we need more self-hating Americans. And, and we certainly need more self-hating Jews. And Michelle Goldberg doesn't hate herself nearly enough. Michelle, you need to hate a lot more. You need to hate the genocide that your people are committing because of their warped, ultra-tribalistic approach to things. And whether or not that's because they rejected Jesus or Muhammad or what have you, uh, it's, it's there, it's real. And, and you guys own the media, Michelle, and you guys are lying. Here's the media mendacity report of the week. Um, I thought this was a, a great image from the New Yorker. Is the media prepared for an extinction level event? And this is all about economics and nobody's clicking enough. They can't, you know, they can't screw the advertisers. They can't swindle the advertisers enough to make them think that their advertisements are working through all the clicks and the clickbait and so on. So the media is dying. And so what's killing it? False flag weekly news. Uh, but seriously, Mike, don't you think that the fact that the media is now totally untrustworthy and biased and, and even pro-genocide at this point, for the most part, that that's contributing to the extinction of mainstream media? The extinction event is the end of the American empire. 
That's that's the thesis of uh, Emmanuel Tote's book, La Defete L'Occident. I just wrote a review of that. And he's saying that the American empire is collapsing because the hidden grammar of the American empire is Protestantism and that evaporated. So when you have these end times, this is the end times. And that's why you're going to have these things like extinction event, that type of stuff, that type of talk circulates when the end is near. And the end is near. And the fact, the the other illustration I think was much better. The Statue of Liberty sinking. So the whole ship is going down here, but we're going to hold up the the menorah and Israel. So we'll drown, but at least we'll save them. This is the this is the situation we're in. We have been driven to this moment by the extreme nature of what is going on in Gaza, which is calling into question everything that we hold as human beings. Is there a moral law? Is there rule of law? Are there canons of civilized behavior? Well, the answer is no. And the proof of it is look at the way Israel is behaving and nobody's stopping them. And one of the reasons nobody's stopping them is Jewish control over the U.S. mainstream media. And that control is, you know, it, it, I don't know if it really matters in, in the coverage of some issues, but in others it, it does. And uh, Philip Weiss, the Jewish New York Times, ex-New York Times journalist, admitted in his article, do Jews control the media and what if we do? Rather, do Jews dominate media? And so what if we do? That part of the so what is, yeah, it really does matter because most of the Jews in media feel like they're running interference for Israel to some extent. There are very few honorable exceptions in mainstream media, not many, and maybe quite a few more outside in the alternative media. But the fact is that the grotesque Jewish overrepresentation in mainstream media has a whole lot to do with why this genocide is continuing. If it weren't, if, if Muslims occupied about half of all of the important decision-making positions in mainstream media, yeah. there would be no genocide in Gaza, that's for sure. Yeah. So uh, it, it's, sometimes it goes even, it's not uh, simply a conspiracy. I don't think they can see it. So I mentioned Emmanuel Tote, uh, and I'm reading the books in French, so you have to read in French. And suddenly the word, uh, who's responsible? Les neocons. He uses the word neocon. Well, wait a minute. That's not a French word. Why are you using this word? Well, because he can't say les juifs. Cherchez les juifs. He can't say it. Well, why can't he say it? Well, uh, 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 Maria Pumier, uh, I was just corresponding with her. You probably met her in. in oh, yeah. In yeah. I've I corresponded with her, too. She's great. Yeah. Well, yeah. Maria is saying, well, nobody, not even a Jew can mention the word Jew in in France because you'll you'll get uh, charged with hate speech. The bigger the bigger problem is it, it happened with the Benz interview with uh, Tucker Carlson. So Benz is going on and on. A lot of good stuff about the deep state. But when you're coming down to, well, who's responsible? Well, you can't say he's a Jew. Emmanuel Tote is a Jew and he can't say the word Jew. So he can't articulate the category. He can't identify the enemy. And so we're all like the blind men tapping in the dark here. So that's why we need more self-hating Jews. That is Jews who are willing to talk about the, the Jewish identity politics and its downsides. Like people like Gilad Atzman. We need more uh, more of those so-called self-hating Jews, just like we need more self-hating Americans who are people like us who are totally disgusted with the policies and maybe to some extent some of the underlying philosophies and worldviews that have led to these horrendous policies. Uh, so uh, speaking of media mendacity, how about this BBC expose on Hamas, which is really an Israeli military propaganda film 
attempting to smear Hamas through the BBC. Now, Mike, I don't understand why the BBC is doing propaganda for the world's worst criminals. They did this with 9-11. They did a number of propaganda hit pieces against 9-11 Truth. Uh, one of them was timed for the long, years and years overdue report on Building 7. And it was time to come out right when they, they murdered uh, the uh, crucial uh, uh, whistleblower uh, on Building 7, who was killed apparently after uh, the loose change guys had, had made his reports about what happened in Building 7 go viral. Uh, Barry Jennings was that, that fellow's name. And so he was murdered. The the ridiculous official Building 7 report came out. And then BBC came out smearing the truth movement, supporting the official ludicrous narrative of Building 7 and smearing the uh, the murdered Barry Jennings. So uh, you, you really can't make, out, make this stuff up to the extent that you know, B BBC is carrying water for the extreme terror wing of the Zionists that blew up the Trade Center and is now committing genocide in Gaza. Well, they've become the propaganda ministry for MI5. Uh, and I, I, in my personal opinion, it looks as if it's worse at the BBC than it is at the New York Times. I used to think the opposite, but it seems that that is the case. Yeah. Journalism has been redefined out of existence. There is no journal. There, mainstream journalism is a contradiction in terms. It's an oxymoron because if it's mainstream, it's propaganda. That's that they have taken over. They have taken over, and there is unrest, uh, psychic unrest, at places like the New York Times, because they're not happy uh, being simply a propaganda ministry. Uh, but that's what it's become. Uh, and now there, you, you, the problem is, well, what about the alternative media? Well, that's, it's the same pressures are being exerted there in, in different ways. The fact that Cy Hirsch publishes on Substack as opposed to the New York Times is the proof of what I'm saying. Why is he doing that? Why isn't that story on the, the, the blowing up Nord Stream? Why wasn't that a front page story on the New York Times? Well, because the New York Times is the propaganda ministry of the United States government, of the deep state. If now, they're not happy. On Substack. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not happy. They're, you can tell there are lots of unhappy people there. And uh, it, it's, it needs to be resolved. It needs to be resolved. But I don't see any resolution forthcoming. Yeah, well, uh, the alternative, the real alternative media, people like Jonathan Cook are running rings around the BBC, that's for sure. And in this article, Jonathan Cook does a point-by-point -point takedown of this ridiculous BBC propaganda against Hamas, which basically the BBC is just accusing Hamas of doing basically what governments always do, which is try to defend their territory, defend their people, uh, you know, raise taxes and have investments so that they'll have enough money to do what they do as governments. So Hamas has basically done all the same thing, the same things every other government has ever done. And for that, it gets smeared by BBC. It's real crime, of course, is quote unquote, funding a global network in opposition to Israel and its existence, blah, blah, blah. So the, if, if you don't think that the Palestinian people should be genocided by messianic, millenarian, religious maniacs, then I guess you are a, uh, a an anti-Semite and on the side of Hamas and so on and so forth. That's the talking points that the BBC is pushing. Uh, and uh, here, I, this was, I thought, the most amazing and kind of darkly amusing part of, of this article by Jonathan Cook, where he 
mentions that the BBC journalist Ware uh, accepts that Yahya Sinwar, the head of Hamas, hates Jews. Why? Well, because a former Israeli security officer who proudly admitted that he interrogated Sinwar between 150 and 180 hours, uh, which is obviously more than you would do if you were just asking for information, uh, said so, that he hates Jews. Uh, and of course, interrogations by Israelis are always, always include lengthy periods of torture. So they tortured him into saying that he hates Jews. Now, Mike, if a Jew tortured you for 150 plus hours trying to get you to say that you hate Jews, would you ever finally admit that maybe, yeah, okay, okay, stop, I hate Jews, I hate Jews. You convinced me. You convinced me. You convinced me. Of course. What What do you think? What do you think the result of this is going to be? What What are we talking about? This is Israeli behavior that is, uh, of course, it's going to create the enemies that they fantasize. Of course, it's going to do that. And now they've expanded it to include the entire world, except for uh, Nauru and Micronesia. They, they, I feel like they're torturing me into saying I hate Jews, really, like watching what's going on in Gaza day after day after day is torture. And it's it's like they're trying to force me to start hating Jews. I mean, I, I, I totally identify with Sinwar. It's very simple. Okay. Jesus Christ said we should love our enemies. So I love the Jews because they are my enemy. It's that simple. Well, I, I try not to hate them because they're my enemy. I try to follow the advice of the, well, I think Ali gets credit for some of this, where but, but this comes out of the Islamic revelation in which Ali was about to dispatch someone on the battlefield that he had already felled, and then the guy uh, spit on him, and Ali spared his life. And the guy said, why'd you do that? And Ali said, well, because I was angry with you. I can't kill you when I'm angry with you. So um, the, the, the corollary of that, of course, is the ability to identify the Jew as your enemy. And we can do that, too, from Scripture, because St. Paul said the Jews are the people who killed Christ, and they are enemies of the entire human race. Okay? Now, this is being improved—this is being proven empirically every day in Gaza. And the, the United Nations resolutions are only a, a, a reflection of what is happening there. This is the fundamental conflict of our age. This is—we are— all being called now to either witness the decline or of civilization uh, or do something about it. And at this point, the main thing that we need to do is break the Jew taboo and identify these people as enemies of the entire human race. And then obviously Jesus Christ says, love your enemies. So I love you guys. Uh, you should love me back. You should stop doing what you're doing. Have, has that ever occurred to you? Instead of denouncing everyone who, who who has some shred of humanity left as an anti-Semite, has it ever occurred to the Jews to say, uh, "I we're not going to do it anymore. I'm sorry. I'm sorry we did that. We were wrong. I apologize. Have you ever heard a Jew say that? Have you ever heard Benjamin Netanyahu say something like that? No. No, that's the problem. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of surprised it would take 150 hours of torture to get Yahya Sinwar to say that he hates Jews, which would tend to go to show that he must not be a very hateful person. Um, okay, let's move on to the category of conspiracy theories. Okay, Marina, uh, Manchester Arena attack survivors win case against conspiracy theorists. That was the BBC headline. We talked about BBC being a propaganda organ for the uh, deep state. Richard Hall, not, not Richard Hell, but uh, this is Richard Hell of the Voidoids punk rock group. Uh, Richard Hall 
is a guy who's been doing a lot of investigation and writing about some of these British terror attacks, which I think we all can agree that at least some of these well-known British terror attacks attributed to radical Muslims are highly dubious. In fact, some of them, such as the 7-7-2005 attack, were obviously carried out by the deep state. Well, Richard Hall is one of these people who's been arguing that some of them never happened. Uh, and he's gotten some traction. Uh, new polls shows that one out of seven Brits surveyed have doubts about whether any of these alleged Islamic terror attacks even happened at all. Uh, and the people who were injured in the attacks or say they were, I think, I, I haven't seen evidence that they weren't. Personally, I haven't studied it super carefully yet, uh, are now all supposedly upset and helping the BBC push back against the evil conspiracy theorists. Uh, so that leads to this lawsuit. Here are some of these people who say that they've been abused by conspiracy investigators tracking them down and filming them to see whether they really exist, whether they're really injured and things like that. Uh, here are the 22 people killed in the Manchester attacks, according to the official figures and so on and so forth. Uh, and some of these people are interesting. This, this Hibbert uh, guy who's, who's suing uh, Richard Hall is running around raising lots of money for the Spinal Injuries Association, climbing mountains, and was named as one of the most influential disabled people in the UK. We saw some some things like this with the Boston bombings uh, victims in the US. Some some of this is a little bit suspicious. So anyway, wh what do you think, Mike? Are, is there reason to think that some of these events might actually have been drills with crisis actors, as Jim Fetzer thinks about Sandy Hook? Or is the deep state pushing that narrative in order to discredit those of us who are showing that it was the intelligence agencies themselves that orchestrated events like the 7-7-2005 London bombings and did indeed kill a bunch of people. Well, I think that they, they jump on something like this because if the guy's wrong, then it, it, they can globalize it and say, well, it never happened. But that's not true. Uh, that's why they're making a big deal out of this. The, the form is set at the beginning, and the form in England was set at the time of the Reformation when Walsingham was head of the secret police, and he was forever hatching plots. The Hesketh plot, the, the plot that eventually resulted in the, in the murder of uh, Maria Stewart, uh, the gunpowder plot, all of these things uh, were got perfected in England, and they've continued uh, to this day, and the fact that one didn't doesn't change the form. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, well, this one, uh, I, I looked into the Manchester plot back when it happened. This, were, this was in like 2017. And there did seem to be uh, a whole bunch of interesting anomalies around some of the reports. But as I recall, this was yet another case where I ended up not being convinced by those who said the whole thing was scripted and run with crisis actors. Uh, but it's interesting that there's still this cottage industry of people who are pushing that narrative and apparently finding a lot of traction to the point that the BBC feels it necessary to push back against them. And whether that whole thing is really uh, just a big, you know, like they certainly they certainly did manage to smear 9-11 truth in the eyes of a lot of respectable, uh, kind of credulous, uh, important people by going after Alex Jones, Jim Fetzer, and folks like that who claim that nobody died at Sandy Hook. And it looks like maybe they're using the same strategy here. But maybe I can get Richard Hall on my radio show and talk to him a little bit to see you know, whether to what extent he might be barking up the right tree about any of these things. 
I don't know. But speaking of more outrageous conspiracy theories, here's one that I actually am more uh, open to, or I think is is more likely to be the case. Like, I, I don't think that the deep state is running around hiring crisis actors and staging fake terror events where nobody dies. I just haven't seen any evidence that that's ever happened even once or any convincing evidence. However, uh, those who deny the moon landing, well, I mean, there's a there's some prima facie uh, arguments for that, such as that it's it's really, really, really hard to land on the moon. And the idea that they were so confident 50 years ago that they risked the lives of all those astronauts uh, when it would have been so much easier to just make a film and say you did it. I don't know. To me, that's a, an interesting prima facie case. I've seen the American moon film by Mizuko and looked into this a little bit. So now that the U.S. is making its first moon landing in 51 years uh, by way of a private company, and they've had to completely rebuild the technology. Uh, here's, where's the rebuild the technology quote here? Well, I don't know. Anyway, that, that's the there it is. Yeah, we're, we're what we're doing is essentially rebuilding some of the expertise that we had during Apollo, but lost over the last 50 years. So in this area, technology has gone way, way, way backwards while it's gone forwards everywhere else. It, this does strike me as, as very interesting. And they're kind of inviting people to become moon landing skeptics. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I think that that a video I saw on the moon landing uh, being faked, it was a very powerful uh, video. Uh, it really, it, I had never thought about it before that, but uh, the what was that Mazuko's film, American Moon? I'm not, I'm, I don't remember that. I remember that, but it was like a, a, a really good uh, uh, documentary on the, the circumstances surrounding it, including the fact that uh, three astronauts had died like shortly before that. You know, uh, the whole, the, the whole uh, operation was in disarray, and then suddenly they pulled it out uh, kind of miraculously. Don't know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. I mean, I, I'm, I'm basically agnostic on this, but this is where this is one of the issues I, I would differ with Ron Unz, who has sort of really is, oh, that's completely crazy. You know, show me one NASA uh, person who who would even entertain the possibility that this could be true, that there were no moon banned moon landings uh, during the Apollo missions. And so I say, yeah, how about Dwayne Dietz, my friend Dwayne Dietz, the uh, pro 9-11 truth ex-NASA engineer. And anyway, so there, that's one of these issues where, where I, I think Ron is still maybe being a little overly conservative. Uh, if you watch the film American Moon and look into some of those issues that are raised, yeah, I can see why so many people all over the world don't believe that Americans made all those moon landings. Uh, it's, it's terribly difficult to land on the moon, you know, 50 years later, uh, when you'd think that that cybernetic technology, cybernetics being the control of things through uh, computers and uh, command and control systems, that stuff has advanced so enormously. I mean, look at drones and all that sort of thing. Uh, the, you know, the optics has advanced enormously. Long distance communications has advanced enormously. And they're saying that you know, to land on the moon, it's like hitting a golf ball in New York and having it land in the hole, hole in one in Los Angeles. Well, did they have better technology to do that back in 1970 than they do now? That's It's kind of counterintuitive to say the least. So anyway, here, here are the moon. There have been lots and lots of moon landings. Nobody doubts that. Uh, maybe 100 by some measures, uh, uh, at, at least 50 soft landers, 10 of which included rovers, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, lots of hard landings as well. Uh, allegedly, there have been six successful crewed landings. Well, all of them have been successful. They were all Apollo 11 through 17, 1969 through 1972. And, uh, and ever since then, it's been impossible to take people to the moon. I think uh, is it China says they're going to do it by 2030. We will see. 
Uh, and the story goes that Neil Armstrong almost crashed on his first moon landing. He had to look out, look out the window. I hope he rolled down the window and stuck his head out. I hope he was wearing his space helmet if he did that. And he had to stick his head out the window. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he saw a, a boulder field and a big crater. And so he, he was able to sort of maneuver around them and find a safe spot to land with barely enough fuel left. Boy, that's a good thing. That would have been a real downer if the first American moon landing had uh, had crashed uh, because the uh, the pilot forgot to roll down the window and look out for boulders and uh, and craters. So anyway, I, I don't know. To me, it's uh, uh, I'm 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 open minded on this, but but I wouldn't be surprised if hey, if Stanley Kubrick actually did all the moon landing films. Speaking of Stanley Kubrick, how about this great new article by Ron Unz, Gaza Jewish Power in the Holocaust, which takes off on. On uh, Kubrick's movies, did you get a chance to read this this long but very rewarding article? Mike? I did read it. Yeah, yeah. I, it it, uh, it struck me as uh, over overly qualified, if you want my honest opinion. Yeah, Ron's got a conservative uh, temperament, so he he tends to understate things rather than than uh, use hyperbole I, like people like us. Yeah, I I say this as just having read a book called The Holocaust Narrative. Uh, and once you look through how this came into existence, and then you ask the question, Kui Bono, it's obvious that the state of Israel could not have been created without the, the, the Holocaust as the backup, as the founding uh, myth of, of that country, uh, because it was also the founding myth of the American empire that got born uh, af in the aftermath of World War II. It's impossible without it. It's impossible. And isn't it interesting, Mike, that we are allowed to doubt these great mythic stories like the moon landing, no matter how difficult it may be to land on the moon 50 years later. But we could, we were, you know, and this is, it is mythic. Wow, the Americans made it to the moon. They waved the flag. Uh, it even rippled in the wind and so on and so forth. Uh, I mean, that that's mythic. That's that's a great American narrative. It's right up there with George Washington crossing the Delaware and, you know, cutting down cherry trees and things like that. But uh you're not allowed to doubt the Holocaust narrative. Uh, you'll get thrown in prison in, in European countries. I guess you can sit around the United States and, and doubt the Holocaust narrative, but don't even think of going on a vacation in Europe. No, so this it goes back to the beginning when Eisenhower showed up at uh, Ordruf. It was the first concentration camp he arrived at, and there were dead bodies all over the ground. Well, they were real. They weren't. They weren't actors. They weren't playing playing dead. They were real. They were dead bodies. But then the question is, well, how'd they die? And at that point, that's when the propaganda machine kicked in. But Eisenhower said at that point, it's important to, to bring in the New York Times and Congress in here so that we can explain to the American soldier why he's fighting. It had that type of explanatory well, power. Yeah, of course. But they he, just... he, It also had the convenient, it was convenient in that it distracted from the war crimes that Eisenhower was committing at that point, and I'm talking about the the way he treated German soldiers on the Rheinwiesen lager, where he put them out on the Rhine meadows with no food, no water, and no shelter, and they died. Uh, that's a war crime. And this was convenient for Eisenhower because it distracted from that, distracted from other war crimes, like the firebombing of Dresden, the saturation bombing of German cities. That was all war crime. Mm -hmm. uh, the Soviets had their own baggage here, and they both collaborated in the creating of this narrative. Yeah, well, uh, you know, the, the Ron Unz take on this, and he's gotten more and more outspoken with each article, seems to be that this World War I propaganda of Germans tossing babies on bayonets was very quickly uh, dropped and debunked after the war. And that partly led to a wave of revulsion and skepticism about that war. 
and the whole Western civilization in general and Americans in particular thought World War I was idiotic and that that propaganda had been idiotic. So then along comes World War II, more war propaganda. This time it's gas chambers rather than babies on bayonets. And this time, however, as you say, in the immediate aftermath of the war to cover up their own war crimes, they grossly exaggerate German war crimes uh, by taking those war propaganda narratives and then pretending they were true and putting people on trial and executing them for that. But a year or two later, by the late 40s, nobody actually takes that seriously. Nobody believes in any Holocaust throughout the 1950s. And it's only starting in the 1960s with Raul Hilberg that they start rebuilding this war propaganda narrative. So to me, this is all really uh, interesting stuff. And I think Ron Unz is doing a great job with it. And as you say, maybe he needs to get even more outspoken, but each article is getting more outspoken. So eventually he's going to reach uh, a point uh, of your approval, I think. Um, but it, anyway, this is, this is a giant step for mankind, this uh, this article, uh, so, um, or at least for Ron Unz. Moving on to the Gaza Holocaust stories. Um, Okay, they're firing on food convoys. I mean, you, you can't make this stuff up. Every week, the Zionists surpass themselves in you know disgusting, inhuman atrocities that make you really wonder about their sanity and even their humanity. They're firing on the food convoys to make sure that they succeed in starving Gazan children to death. Uh, your thoughts, Mike? Well, I'm I don't, I'm I'm dumbfounded. I I, I reached this point in the show, and, and what am I supposed to say? What are we supposed to say at this point? This is horrendous. The question is, why isn't someone why isn't someone stopping this? When is this going to stop? What does it take to stop this? Because it's calling the pillars of civilization into question. If Jews can get away with this, then we have no civilization. We just have to resign ourselves to the fact that Jews can do whatever they want. They can kill as many people as they want. They can violate whatever law they want. And we can't do a damn thing about it. Now, how are we going to get past this impasse right now? That's a great question. Well, the you know, it's it's obvious that the White House could stop this. This is really an American genocide as well as an Israeli genocide because the Americans are supplying the the money and the weapons. And the second the Americans say that's it, stop, we're cutting you off, it'll stop. Uh, so you know every. Every U.S. American is to some extent responsible for this. I guess there are no innocent people in America anymore. It's like they, the Zionists say about uh, Gaza, uh, which means that everybody in America is a legitimate target. Well, by the Zionist logic, that would be the case. Um, the Zionists are also turning uh, torture of uh, prisoners into a spectator sport. Euromed Human Rights Monitor reports that groups of 10 to 20 Israeli civilians at a time are being brought in to laughingly film the Palestinians as they're being tortured. Uh, again, it's it's kind of shocking, and especially when you think that we Americans are making this happen. You know, without our total support, it won't happen. Wait, Kevin, what do you mean we, pale face? What <laughs> yeah. what what do you? This is the problem here. Who is this we that we're talking about here? Are is there such a thing as an American? Because what you've got here is. Uh, Biden's minions. You've got Jews basically carrying out our American foreign policy according to Jewish interests. And America, there, there's no one representing America's interest. Now, previously, you had at some point the, the president, uh, someone, uh, the secretary of state would say, okay, that's enough. You made your point, And now uh, you stop doing what you're doing or you don't get any more money. Yeah, Reagan, well, Reagan did that. Every president yep. did it. Yeah. 
Every president up till Biden has done this in one way or the other. Well, maybe Trump not. Okay, let's let leave Trump out of this thing. But the question is, if it's a Jew in charge, if it's a Jew who's a secretary of uh, state, well, that doesn't happen. Now, this is an argument to say we cannot have uh, people like Blinken. We cannot have Jews in positions of power because they cannot represent the American, the interest of the American people. Now, prove me wrong. Okay, but the evidence is here right now in front of us with Gaza. Well, Henry Kissinger, I think if he, you know, the way he operated back in, say, 1970, I I don't think he would have just gone along with this. I I think we, as as you said in another show, I think we have we have a worse, worse quality of Jews in the White House now than we did back then, which is saying something. I'm not a fan of Kissinger, but uh, this is this is completely Gone. Yes. And I think if you look at Kissinger, he said he's he was becoming an anti-Semite. Uh, uh, but in a sense, Nixon was strong enough to control Kissinger. Well, we don't have that with Biden. We have the exact opposite, where the guy supposedly in charge is not non-compus mentis. He is non-compus mentis. I didn't mean a double negative there. Okay. Well, that would explain uh, a lot, I guess. But I mean, it's yeah. So it's, it's still the people around him that are are doing this. Another kind of mind-boggling Israeli atrocity from this week. I mean, every week there's stuff like this. It just gets worse and worse. Uh, Here's an Israeli minister telling the Knesset, the Israeli parliament, quote, I am personally proud of the ruins of Gaza and that every baby, even 80 years from now, will tell their grandchildren what the Jews did. That's uh, May Golan, Israel's minister for the advancement of women. So I guess she's advancing women quite far along the path to being genocidal inhuman monsters. Yeah, she makes uh, Lady Macbeth look like Mary Poppins here. But this is this is the type this is called chutzpah. This is what the Jews when they get into a a a position where their behavior is so reprehensible that people start noticing and saying things, they double down. I'm proud of the fact that I'm a killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. wait a minute. We we can't tolerate this. We can, the, 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 the frustration here is, okay, we can't tolerate it, but what are we going to do about it? At this point, uh, we have to stand up and at least say that this is wrong. If we have no power other than the, the power of the word, we have to exercise that, and we have to hold these people, namely the Jews, responsible for what they're doing. And we can't get scared off by the fact that anytime you criticize a Jew, you're called an anti-Semite. We're past that. we got to move beyond that. Well, if you can't criticize somebody who who is cheering on a genocide and being proud that 80 years from now, these people who are babies now who suffered through this and those who survived any will tell their grandchildren what the Jews did, you really have to wonder about these people. And maybe she should be careful what she wishes for. There is an apparently authentic series of uh, ahadith that is sayings, prophetic utterances of the Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, that, quote, that it, when we get near a certain point in history towards the end times, the Jews will hide behind a tree or a rock, and the rock or the tree will say to the Muslim, there is a Jew behind me, come and kill him. And of course, the, the word Muslim here can be just people who are in submission to God, as opposed to the satanic rebels against God who support genocide and want, if we're proud of the fact that 80 years from now, everybody is going to absolutely hate them for what they did. So, Again, uh, this this obsession with anti-Semitism seems to be based in the fact that Jewish behavior is inviting it. 
the main cause of anti-Semitism is Jewish behavior. When, when are they going to wake up, wake up to this fact? Maybe, uh, hopefully, before it's too late, before, before some type of violent reaction sets in. Well, I'm worried kind of in the middle of a violent reaction, but let's hope it can be tamped down and eventually put out. Uh, another horrible report from Gaza, a doctor writing in the New York Times about performing amputations with barbed wire. Uh, just you know, dozens, hundreds, thousands of children having limbs amputated with barbed wire because they don't have any better tools to perform amputations. That's just one of the many uh, horrific details in this article. And of course, uh, she's proud of this. Uh, she can't wait. These babies who had their limbs sawed off with barbed wire to grow up with no limbs and 80 years from now tell their grandchildren how wonderful the Jews were for doing this to them. Yeah, yeah. Oh. The anger is growing. I, 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 this, is, this is the most painful part of the program because we go from one atrocity to the other and I'm trying to look for some type of sign of hope on the horizon and I'm not seeing anything. Certainly not with with uh, natural eyes. Well, the, the world is getting tired of it. Uh, the Security Council just voted on a ceasefire resolution, and it was nearly unanimous, 13 to 1 in favor of a ceasefire. And who voted against it? Well, not only voted against it, but vetoed it. It was the good old United States of America. Why do they hate us? Because of our freedom. There you go. Oh, boy, yeah. So I, I wrote about this, uh, pointing out that the whole notion of a genocide complicit global hegemon is kind of a non-starter. And these people are pursuing a contradiction. They think the American empire should remain the unchallenged global leader and planetary hegemon, and we should keep the unipolar era going, all this kind of thing. But the whole world is trying to stop this Gaza genocide, and the U.S. is vetoing the Security Council resolution. Nobody's going to put up with that kind of leadership. These people uh, who are making these decisions are just grotesquely in incompetent. Uh, the, their their strategic sense is as hideous as their morality. You can only have a, a, an order based on the moral order. The uh, the uh, the rule of law. Peace is the tranquility. Peace is the tranquility of order. If there's no order, there's no peace. And so if there's no peace, then there are perpetual wars. And we're all, the United States is already involved in a series of these wars. And they keep throwing good money after bad in places like the Ukraine. And they keep losing. It's time to back off. This is a failed policy. Time to back off. But who's going to do it? Who's, who's, who's the, who, do you, who do you want to vote for? Who are you going to vote for? Well, I had Mike King on my show telling me to vote for Trump last night, but he didn't fully convince me. Uh, I, I hope he's right. I mean, that would it's it's a Q fantasy, uh, almost. In any case, Sam Husseini uh, makes a great point in this piece. Uh, all of these uh, Zionist or Jewish, what have you, propagandists are all saying, oh, these poor people in Gaza, they have nowhere to go. Egypt should let them into a, a concentration camp and they should be in an Egyptian concentration camp instead of the Gaza concentration camp. Well, Sam Husseini points out that they all, almost all of them have somewhere to go, which is home. Their homes are in what's now Israel, and that's indeed where they should go. Yeah, well, from your mouth to God's ear, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, well, for the UN Resolution 192 enshrines the right of every single one of those million-plus people in Gaza and many, many more millions around the world to return to their homes in what's now Israel. And the Israelis shoot them if they try, even if they peacefully demonstrate at the border 
to you know, demand the right to return to their homes, the Israelis uh, shoot them, sometimes to kill. They killed 200 peaceful protesters during the, the uh, demonstrations a few years ago, and sometimes to maim. They maimed, uh, I believe, like 10,000 people. So you get shot and, and maimed if you peacefully demonstrate for the right to go home, as the UN Resolution 192 says that you do. So anyway, Sam- And, that, and that, that's spreading to the, to the culture at large. In terms of demonstrations, like the January 6th demonstration is an example of that. They didn't shoot them, but uh, they shot them legally, you know, for doing something that uh, uh, everyone's supposed to have the right to do. So you can't contain this. Can't contain this in Israel because we're all becoming Palestinians uh, under these various uh, Zionist-controlled governments throughout the West. The whole world's becoming Palestinian. And we don't have any global law and order, though to try to mitigate the horrors of living under Zionist apartheid rule. Uh, here's a piece from Winter Watch about the, the ongoing new invention of brand new war crimes that the Israelis keep coming up with. We already mentioned this, how they, they're inviting people to watch the torture sessions live as a form of a spectator sport. They're also showing it on TV, which is pretty stupid because it gets recorded and now we can watch what they're playing, these horrific uh, videos of, of torturing and killing Palestinians that are entertainment on Israeli television. Um, the you know, statements, genocidal statements, no innocent people here. So yeah, go ahead and kill everybody in Gaza, inflict horrific suffering on little children and, and women, kill you know, 30,000 people so far, uh, mostly women and children, and destroy all their housing in the middle of winter and so on and so forth. That's fine. There are no, there are no innocent people here. And again, Mike, as you pointed out on an earlier show, according to this doctrine, certainly there are no innocent people in America because the Americans are the ones who are authorizing this. So no wonder Bin Laden's uh, work is going viral on TikTok. Yeah, yeah. This, go well, again, goes back to the Holocaust narrative. There was an article in the American Spectator in which uh, a rabbi uh, uh, said that uh, there were no innocent people in Dresden uh, because uh, the people there voted for Adolf Hitler. Well, does that mean all the people? Uh, well, we don't know. It doesn't matter with this type of argumentation. So since there were no innocent people in Dresden because some people there voted for Adolf Hitler, therefore there are no uh, innocent people in Gaza because some people voted for Hamas. This is the type of logic that is being forced upon us by people that we're not allowed to criticize. We're not, People voted this for is, Biden in the U.S. What does that uh, say about Americans? Yeah, I said I said uh, the same thing about Trump in Maine. You know that the bowling alley where all those people got shot in the bowling alley—they deserve to die because that the district voted for Donald Trump. Please uh, explain to me why uh, this is not a reductio ad absurdum. This is exactly the type of logic that they are forcing on us through their control of the media. CNN cannot run any clips of what's going on in Gaza without the approval of the IDF. Now, this is this is outright. If we can't say it, we can't do anything about it because we don't know what to do unless we articulate it by, through speech and discussion. Right. Well, no wonder they've been rolling back free speech all this time under a, such a wide variety of pretexts with, you know, the Trump emergency and the COVID emergency being uh, major upticks in killing free speech. Uh, yeah, here's uh, some of the kinds of things Israelis watch for fun. And um, the law and order aspect of this is that the International Court of Justice did issue that order uh, what, almost a month ago now, 
uh, which ordered essentially ordered Israel to comply with the genocide convention, accepted South Africa's argument that what was going on there appeared to be genocide, told Israel to stop. And now they've been criticized by folks who say, well, telling Israel to stop isn't going to help because Israel isn't going to stop. Well, the ICJ, do they have the right to tell somebody else to stop Israel? Can they tell the Houthis to go and uh, inter interdict ships? I don't know. In any case, uh, the South Africa went back to the ICJ this week, and the ICJ emphasized that the state of Israel remains bound to fully comply with its ob obligations at the Genocide Convention uh, by ensuring the safety and security of the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. Well, uh, <laughs> obviously they're not, so who gets to enforce this? Uh, somebody needs to arm themselves with something capable of enforcing it, I guess. Yeah, who's that going to be? Who's that going to be? Who's going to put the bell on the cat? Great idea. Who's going to put the bell on the cat? Unless someone steps up and says this, uh, it's 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 not going to happen, and no one is stepping forward. So what you have here is everyone doubling down. So uh, uh, Germany is always the great example of the canary uh, in the mine shaft. And so Nancy Faser just announced that they're going to pass a law in Germany that says it's illegal to criticize the state. Well, what exactly is journalism supposed to do if it's not supposed to criticize the state? Uh, how do you think this is going to play out eventually? Because what you're saying here, the state is you're you're much worse than Louis the Fourteenth. He said, "L'état c'est moi." That's what that's what uh, what they're saying in Germany is the Green uh, Party. Nancy Faser is the state, and you can't criticize her. When is when is someone going to back down here? When is uh, reality going to kick in? Where is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? It's got to happen. Can't go on this way. Yeah. Well, so somebody's got to admit that the South Africa case has been won. It's time to enforce it. Somebody needs to go enforce this. And if no governments will, then some non-governmental organizations uh, probably should. And if they can get their hands on some no return address WMD to point at Israel's head, that might be the only way to ever get these INS to stop their genocidal activities. Uh, the whole world is is uh, is up in arms about this, and uh, and still it, it continues. I mean, even the Washington Post, the New York Times are starting to publish some stuff like this, uh, you know, point, pointing out that the the uh, Zionists are under the gun uh, worldwide. And there's there's another big court case here that this particular editorial is taking up, which is the uh, the top UN court weighing on the nature of Israel's control over its occupied territories. In other words, uh, they're being asked by Palestine to point out that this occupation is totally illegal, and the occupied people have every right to resist with military force. So everything Hamas has done is. Well, maybe not quite everything. Maybe they've committed a couple of excesses of war crimes or what have you. But their basic activities of attacking Israeli settlers and troops are 100% legal. They are absolutely permitted to do this and even to some extent encouraged to do this by international law. Yes. Yes, I agree. I agree. Okay. Well, let's let's get to our culture war stuff. That's your uh, bailiwick, the long march through the institutions. Well, one of the institutions they've marched through is the schools. And I thought this was an interesting uh, piece on Randy Weingarten, uh, the head of the American Federation of Teachers. I hadn't known that she could be characterized as a genocidal Jewish lesbian Israeli spy uh, who's controlling America's teachers union. Now, we better be careful when we say things like that. Alan Saral uh, is being threatened. I guess he's actually been sentenced to prison for 
saying something about a quote unquote fat lesbian. Yes. So you call a fat lesbian a fat lesbian. So are we allowed to call a genocidal Jewish Israeli spy lesbian a genocidal Jewish Israeli? I don't, actually, I don't know if he's an Israeli spy. So I'll 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 walk that back about a half a step. <laughs> but still, like, why is it the American Teachers Union in control of a you know Zionist who's pushing sexual whatever you want to call it? Uh, it's you know non-reproductive sexuality on America's kids. Yeah, well, this is not new to the um, the Teachers Federation. Al Shanker did this in the Brownsville, Ocean Hill, Brownsville uh, dispute over uh, Jewish teachers and black students and so on and so forth. The the issue here is again: Can you have a Jew in charge of anything who will represent the interest of the actual people? In this instance, teachers. Does the Jew represent? Is the Jew capable of representing the interest of teachers, or are is it, is is this lady and Al Shanker before her going to take this and hijack the uh, the organization and turn it into? Uh, uh, support for her group uh, in this instance uh, the 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 war in Gaza whatever it is uh, because it's either that or before that it was the whole support of the uh, homosexual agenda hijacking schools for the home promoting the homosexual agenda this is a fundamental question that we have to ask are they capable of representing anything but their own self-interest? And if so, if they're not, then what consequences does this going to have for representative government? You would have to exclude them from any position of leadership based on their track record up till now. So this uh, Frankfurt School long march through the institutions has taken over the American Teachers Union. Is it taking over the Catholic women's colleges, too? Uh, I thought this was very strange, Mike, that that almost all Catholic women's colleges admit men who identify as women. What kind of a women's college is that? You tweeted about this, asking, would you send your daughter to a college that can't tell the difference between a man and a woman? Uh, well, I don't have a daughter, but uh, even if I did, I don't think I would want to. So well, what's with the uh, Catholic women's colleges? Well, I, I've, I had a front row seat here because I got hired at St. Mary's College uh, across from Notre Dame in 1979. And uh, it had been taken over by feminists. The nuns, nuns are to feminism uh, what Indians are to whiskey, okay? They cannot resist it. It intoxicates them. And then they start acting in violent, stupid way. Now, this is what happened to St. Mary's College. It was taken over by feminism. And feminism uh, was a Jewish movement. It was, it took, with people like Betty Goldstein for Dan took, she was a member of the Communist Party. She took over class conflict and then applied it to uh, gender, to the family. And it was male versus female. And the nuns all succumbed to it in the 1970s. And I got fired because I was against abortion. So now it's reached a point where uh, it's so bad. Transgenderism is like a, a bridge too far because even, even the, the feminists uh, are having second thoughts about this. And that's that's what's happening now at the other St. Mary's College, the one that, where I was uh, hired. There was a, a, a huge uh, rebellion when St. Mary's announced that they were going to uh, allow men into the ladies' locker room, which is the only locker room you have at St. Mary's. Uh, and so the, the, the president tried to tough it out, and then she backed down, and then she reinstated the, pol the former policy. And so she alienated everyone. 
everyone hates this lady now. Uh, and sh uh, there's a huge uh, block of alumni who are now mobilizing uh, to get rid of her. And she lost the support of the, the revolutionaries on the staff because she backed down. So that's the problem here. So the long march for the institutions hasn't fully quite 100% taken them over yet. Uh, over at, at BlackRock and J.P. Morgan Chase, two institutions that largely own the Western world, much of the rest as well, uh, they, for some reason, dropped out of the U.N. Climate Alliance and said that, well, they're going to fight global warming uh, with their in-house staff. So Jamie Dimon left and Larry Fink right, uh, again, ethnicities unknown, who control much of the world's uh, financial power are no longer part of this globalist plot to impose various environmental measures through the global warming issue. Um, do you have uh, asked me to talk I'm, about this? <laughs> well, I'm asking you, what do you think is behind this? Is it the, pro the farmer protests in Holland, for example? There are farmer protests all over uh, Europe right yeah, now. Yeah, Every I, I single just ran country. Into one in Paris last week. Okay, so so uh, uh, do they realize that this is a bridge too far, and they had other things that are more important, and so they're dropping out because of that? I, what are you, what are your thoughts? You know, I, I'm puzzled. I think it might be partly that Russia is winning the war, and so that at at some point uh, Europe is going to have to admit that they're still going to have to use some fossil fuels. So the the whole dream of massively scaling back fossil fuels really fast may look less realistic now. And they're sort of making a gesture towards that. That's all I can think of. This, this is similar to the situation after World War II. OK, when you had the Morgenthau plan, the Morgenthau plan was to simply destroy Germany as an industrialized country and starve 20 percent of the population to death. That was the Jew Morgenthau, who was the secretary of Treasury. And at this point, the adults in the room, the WASP elite who had residual Christian consciousness said, if we do this, the Germans will welcome the Soviet Union with open arms. So we have to back off and we have to uh, build back Germany. Germany back. That may be the turning point right now. The, the, the point of this was they were so furious at Germany because of the pipeline and getting gas from Russia, they decided to, decided to destroy Germany. But now that they're losing the war in the Ukraine, maybe that's a bad idea. Maybe we're back to the, after, the aftermath of World War II when they instituted the Marshall Plan as, a, as an alternative to the punitive uh, Morgenthau Plan. So maybe the Morgenthau plan for the planet, uh, call it Morgenthau planet for short, has been scaled back. And I guess that would be good news. Uh, I'm not so sure, actually. I'm, I'm still somewhat agnostic on the whole global warming issue. I've looked at uh, people who are extremely making arguments that are very, very alarmist. I've looked at people who are making the opposite arguments. And uh, frankly, I don't have the scientific chops to know who's right. Uh, so I'm kind of a kibitzer on that one. How about the Assange issue? That one I do have an opinion about. And my opinion is that despite Assange being a 9-11 truth denier and somebody who may have cooperated with Israeli intelligence, knowingly or unknowingly to some extent, I still think that what they're doing to him is criminal. You know, it's obviously a, a fraud and a farce. The whole thing is a, is a joke. It's uh, they're torturing, you know, legal norms in order to torture and ultimately kill Julian Assange. Uh, even the Australian parliament is uh, is against this extradition to a US prison where he will die if they send him there. 
What do you think? Are they actually going to send him to America to, to die? Is is this a resurgence of Australian nationalism? Is that a contradiction in terms that Australians <laughs> have have a nationalism? Uh, I I, don't, I I have difficulty understanding what's going on in Australia. Uh, maybe because there's such a, a d difference between the the, the southernmost part that uh, which seems to be like a, a people's republic, and the northern part. I I, I it's hard to tell, but it's uh, it looks maybe it's nationalism. Maybe there's well, yeah, some I mean, type of solidarity with between Australians. Who knows? Well, yeah, I think how it how it would feel. From their viewpoint, here's you know the Australian citizen who, you know, whatever you think about him, you got these these big powerful bullying forces against him, and so naturally there's going to be a certain amount of support. But I'm I'm just a little surprised that it reached the parliament, and the parliament is willing to defy the uh, the empire that much. But we'll see where it all goes, uh, and we'll see whether they succeed in having Assange die in an American prison. And speaking of dying in prison. This week, we were uh, treated to a gigantic sideshow of Navalny dies in the Russian prison, but the same people who were making front page headlines about that never seemed to do the same thing for an American journalist dying in a Ukrainian prison. That would be Gonzalo Lira. Uh, so why is it bigger news when some really not that important uh, Russian dissident, I guess he's important because he takes CIA money, uh, dies in a Russian prison when an American citizen who's supposed to, that's supposed to be who we care about in America, just like the Australians care about Assange, dies in a Ukrainian prison under horrific circumstances, and the mainstream media doesn't care. I think the Navalny thing was a function of the collapse in Avdivka, the total rout of Ukrainian troops in Avdivka, and the the fact that uh, the Republicans were threatening not to uh, uh, approve uh, more military aid for the Ukraine. So you're suggesting that uh, possibly Gilbert Doctorow, one of the most credentialed Russia experts, is right, saying that it was actually the West, or he says the British, who killed Navalny. It wasn't the Russians. Well, whatever, whatever the reason, I think the immediate issue right now, which is how CNN functions, I guess, on a day-to-day -day basis, is we have to uh, distract everyone from the fact that this was the biggest defeat for the Ukrainian army since the beginning of the war. And so they had to come up with, I guess, Navalny fit, fit the bill. You know, it was so obvious that this is a distraction. Watching this, the the, the wife is on, you know, especially, as you said, in light of the, the callous way that they treated, uh, the Ukrainians treated uh, Gonzalo Lira, letting him die in prison. Right. Yeah, the timing was suspicious. As you said, there was the uh, Russian liberation of Avdivka, there was Tucker Carlson's interview uh, getting a billion hits, the most watched news segment ever, his, his interview of Vladimir Putin. And uh, and then the, uh, uh, the the Munich conference where the West, the collective West all meets in Munich to condemn Russia. And they just happened to send Navalny's wife uh, before his death to that conference so she could conveniently be there in Munich to uh, make a big hoopla when he died. So I think Gilbert Doctorow's conspiracy theory that this could have been the West or the British behind the death of Navalny because of the timing makes a lot of sense. I don't think it has to, uh, whatever it was, It ha they had to come up with something. It's like, don't just stand there, do something. We're losing the war, do something. And this was it. And so that that's what had happened. I don't think you need to have that uh, hypothesis. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, so you, e even if he just sort of healed over randomly at that moment, see, see that was, a, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, the could... Russians would not have killed him at that time. Why would the Russians hand 
the Western PR machine, this huge bonanza right at that moment, right when they have all this success, right when they, they liberate Avdivka, right when they ha have gotten, you know, Putin uh, with Tucker Carlson getting Putin's viewpoint across to a, a billion people. I mean, they're going from success to success. That's not the moment when they would choose to eliminate Navalny, even if they even wanted to eliminate him. He's not even a problem for them. So yeah. I think that the opposite hypothesis, that it would be the West that would choose that moment for Navalny's death, makes sense. And how would they choose that moment? Well, by killing him. Yeah. Or he could have just died. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because that's clearly the purpose of the Navalny propaganda barrage. Okay. Well, we're pretty much on the same page there. Uh, how about the Corbett Report's brief history of Ukraine? I mean, he's Corbett is uh, he he's a lot of fun. You know, his short version of what happened uh, on 9-11 in five minutes is, is a classic. And he's, he's put out a lot of other good analyses. This uh, particular one, I think, tries a little too hard to be even-handed and to give equal credit to Russian nationalism and Ukrainian nationalism, and also to not really notice the fact that Putin's point that he made in the interview with Tucker Carlson, which is that how, whatever you want to call them, these Slavic people of the Orthodox faith uh, who started out with the Kiev and Rus, they're, they're basically one people for the most part, maybe not counting a certain ethnic group in the far, very far west of Ukraine, but uh, at least half of the Ukrainians and the Russians are, are the same people, are they not? And I didn't think Corbett really did justice to that. I, it's, it's, it's irrelevant, I think, in, in a sense. Who said that the, the, the uh, Nash boundaries, uh, in a place where there are no natural boundaries, which is what the Ukraine is, all of Eastern Europe, and it's the boundaries have shifted back and forth depending on you know whether Poland's powerful or Lithuania is powerful, whoever's powerful. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's the it's the the political boundaries don't matter. It's the people and the one one thing that they're leaving out of the discussion is this is the Jewish homeland. Mm -hmm. This is the pale of the settlement. That's true. Yeah, Corbett didn't really talk about that, did he? No, I wonder why. Because <laughs> and, and these are the interests at play right now. From if you're talking about Zelensky talking to Larry Fink, what type of what group of people are we talking about here? They want they want to drive the Ukrainians out and take control of the the ancestral Jewish homeland and turn it into a plantation for BlackRock. I think that's what's going on here. It could be. And again, Corbett's in Japan. I don't. Yeah, I would think he could say what he wants in Japan, but for whatever reason, yeah, there was nothing about the uh, Jewish Pale of Settlement issue and so on, and the who are the neocons directing this insane policy and none of that. It was all uh, it was all just a, a the history of Ukraine. Uh, you know, Putin's version and then a counter version. Anyway, the Russian threats that we're getting this week, uh, along with the death of Navalny, we got a bunch of uh, horrible Russian threats to try to terrorize us into not noticing that the Russians are going from success to success. And one of those threats is nukes in space. New York Times asks, is this a Sputnik moment? Remember in Sputnik in the late 50s, when suddenly we had to up our game because the Russians were winning the space race. Well, now they're going to put nukes in space, which means that if war breaks out, they can take out the satellites. And the U.S. is far more dependent on satellites than Russia is. So this could be a total disaster. Uh, but I mean, what, what, do you, what do you expect Russia to do when you push them up against the wall? Yeah. And, and why are we distracting ourselves by looking up in space when the real problem is happening on the ground? I think once again, this is all misdirection to to distract us from the fact that they're losing the war and and uh, they want more money. Give us more money and we'll throw good money after bad. 
that's yeah. the mess yeah. that's the message of all of these articles yeah yeah these mainstream articles are uh they're all freaking out about the republicans blocking aid to ukraine and so yeah you're right they're they're begging for money uh and and, and here's a ukrainian uh prop propaganda piece from ukrainska pravda about Mevdedev threatening berlin london and washington with nukes uh and his uh, direct quote was you know hey if, if it comes down to the existence of Russia, uh, of course, we'll use our nukes. You, you think we, <laughs> that's what they're for, which is really kind of already obvious. So I don't know if this really had to be a front page headline story. On the other hand, the fact that the Russians, you know, that, that NATO wants to threaten the existence of Russia and therefore wants to start a nuclear war, that's the thing that's alarming. Yeah, I, I heard a news report at the same time that uh, uh, the Ukraine, Zelensky is asking for nuclear weapons now. Uh, this, oh, he's, he's this... been trying to get. Yeah, he's been looking for nuclear weapons. That's part of the reason the Russians uh, invaded a couple of years ago was that he said something about getting nuclear weapons. Yeah, a bad bad idea, bad idea. So don't give Zelensky any nuclear weapons. That's for sure. Uh, all right. Well, some folks like uh, Mike King on my radio show last night seem to think that Donald Trump could solve all these problems. Well, a lot of them anyway. Mike King was telling me about how Trump is really a 9-11 truther, which yeah, I, I kind of think he probably knows the score on that. And he's he's let it out, you know, a few times uh, in so many words. But uh, is Trump going to end the war? Is he going to end the empire? I don't know. Mike King thinks so. I'm skeptical. Uh, but the mainstream is terrorized of Trump. They hate Trump as much as they hate Russia, it seems. So the lawfare is all being reported in a somewhat distorted way. Uh, maybe not so much over at Fox, but the New York Times is reveling in Trump's legal problems or his lawfare problems. 450 million or is it 350 million? I guess it depends whether you believe uh, Fox or the New York Times. In any case, uh, he's way ahead in the polls. And you think uh, all this lawfare and propaganda is going to stop Trump or is Mike King right? Trump's going to get elected and do all the things that he should have done in the first term in his second term. Uh well, if he does get elected, it won't be because it be because the Democrats didn't try and stop him. So all of these these uh, legal cases uh, are taking taking a toll. I mean, the mayor Mayor Curley got elected from jail in Boston, so because the Irish voted for him. So uh, maybe he can rule from just some prison cell, maybe or something like that. But I, I wish I wish I had more hope. I wish I weren't so disappointed in Donald Trump because I voted for Donald Trump the first time around, and uh, he basically betrayed my vote by being an Israel firster. So uh, once again, it's being proposed as an alternative. That's clearly what they're saying here by all these trials, that he is a significant threat to the world order. But I, I don't see it. I just don't see it. It seems to me it's which, which uh, Israel supporter are you going to vote for. That's all I can see. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I had that argument on the show. People can listen to that by going to truthjihad.com. Click on the radio show link, find your way to my interview with Mike King. It's actually not archived at this moment, but it will be pretty soon. And then you can listen to somebody arguing that the return of Trump actually will be a very good thing. Uh, we'll we'll see about that. And speaking of, uh, of Trump, uh, the war on Trump, Matt Taibbi points out in this article that the people who got the Russiagate story right, which was that the whole Trump-Russia collusion thing was basically a big propaganda hoax. 
uh, all paid the price for it. They all just got beat up by the mainstream. And he lists all these people, starting with Aaron Maté and so on. But Ray McGovern, Glenn Greenwald, and on and on and on, all these people that sort of somewhere in between the mainstream and the alternative media. Uh, so, yeah, I noticed the mainstream hasn't really apologized for getting that story wrong. No, it just goes down the memory hole. Yeah. That, that's uh, again, we started off by saying that they all of the media have become propaganda outlets. And of course, you're going to be paid for being a propaganda outlet. That's totally the case in Canada right now and becoming the case here. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I admit I got this wrong a little bit, too, because, you know, I'm suspicious of some of Trump's connections with Russian oligarchs and such. Uh, so I didn't find it particularly uh, implausible that Trump might have been up to some of that uh dicey business uh with various russians not that he would be a putin clone or anything like that but uh as as it's turned out that was pretty much of a nothing burger well the big news this week is this the surprising and shocking news is that the uk is now vastly worse for jews than gaza is for palestinians the uk is becoming a new nazi germany and we have the proof these are stories from the british press here's a i think daily mail story uh this poor Jewish Brit says that he literally feels unsafe. He doesn't just metaphorically feel unsafe. He literally literally feels unsafe because he's a Jew in the UK. Why? Because there was a horrendous, horrendous thing that happened. Uh, somebody defaced his baby's birth certificate by scratching out Israel from the birth certificate. And so that means it's it's like they're living in 1930s Germany, where Nazis would put notes on Jewish people's documents. Uh, and they're looking for the culprit that did this terrible crime by scribbling out the, the word Israel on a birth certificate. And I, so, I suppose they'll be imprisoned in the power of London, if not drawn and quartered. Yeah, well, it's a, the Holocaust narrative again. And uh, it's uh, the driving force here is guilt. That was the driving force behind the Holocaust narrative. It's the driving force behind these type of ridiculous reports anyway the fact that the the newspaper takes it seriously is another matter that's more to do with money uh and things like that but when you're talking about people sincerely saying this i think that they're sincerely talking about their guilty conscience and projecting it onto the the people they are hurting the jew cries out in pain when he strikes you yeah he says the baby didn't do anything wrong to deserve having Israel scratched out. It was actually the father's place of birth was Israel, and that was somebody scratched it out with a pen. And the poor baby didn't do anything to deserve it. That, well, I don't think a baby cares too much about that. Those babies in Gaza who are undergoing amputations with, with barbed wire uh, didn't do anything to deserve that either. And, you know, maybe that's a little bit worse, but no, it's not because they're not Jewish. The only suffering right. that matters is Jewish. And so that's what we're being told over and over and over by the Jewish controlled media. Very interesting. Yes. Uh, yes. And here, here's more horrific persecution of Jews in the UK, proving that the UK today is another Nazi Germany. Uh, this Amy Winehouse statue in London's Camden Market, which has a little star of David between her uh, her cleavage, uh, somebody stuck a Palestinian flag over the star of David. Uh, it's a hate crime, and they're going after the culprits with guns blazing. Uh, so there's uh, there's Amy Winehouse, a pop singer I was marginally even aware of before this thing. And there she is with her star of David. And uh, and there's the star of David with the little Palestinian flag over it. And Amy uh, from Beyond the Grave, she apparently died of alcohol poisoning after a notoriously drunken career, uh, is uh, singing from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. 
All right. Good for Amy Winehouse. And uh, I feel sorry for those poor persecuted UK Jews. Yeah, I agree. Okay, we're going to have to end then with our music video of the week. The Israeli National Anthem. That's it for our show. Thank you so much, Dr. E. Michael Jones. I uh, appreciate your uh, very incisive interventions, uh, contextualizing history and the history of each week. Uh, keep it up and look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you, Kevin. Okay, bye-bye.